1744, the first golf club with a definite proof of origin was the Company of Gentlemen Golfers Who Played of Leaf, now called the Honourable Company of Edinburgh Golfers Who Play at Muirfield. It was that year when several gentlemen of honour, skillful in the ancient and healthful exercise of the golf, petitioned the Edinburgh City Council to donate a silver club for their annual competition on the Leaf Links. The winner of the competition was declared captain of the golf for the year, and a silver ball with the date and the captain's name inscribed upon it was attached to the silver club. Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian, Colin Sheehan. I'd like to welcome all of our listeners back to another Silver Club podcast. We've got a fantastic episode for you today with fried egg creator Andy Johnson, and we're going to get to him in just a moment. But before we do, we couldn't have this podcast without the support of the Silver Club Golfing Society. We are creating a great community of competitive amateur golfers. Our very first major will take place at the Bay Hill Club and Lodge, April 15th to 17th, with the Palmer Four Ball. And we've got a fantastic slate of events throughout the season. So please check that out, www.silverclubgolfingsociety.com or simply silverclubgs.com. Check us out on social media, at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter. And we are just more than excited to have this podcast. This is our fifth episode now. We've had some fantastic guests, and we're just moving right along here with Andy Johnson of the Fried Egg. You know him, you love him, you've seen his stuff, and here he is right now. Okay, we have an amazing, amazing day here at the Silver Club Podcast. We've had some great guests uh, leading up to this. We've had Bill Harmon, we've had mid-amateur champions Kevin O'Connell and Matt Parziali. Today we've got an architectural guru that is beyond belief and and he's created an amazing community on the friedegg.com. Andy Johnson is joining the Silver Club podcast today. Welcome Andy. Hey, thanks, Steve and Colin. Um, I don't think I really stack up to your your previous guests with what they've done in golf, but it's, uh, it's great to be on here. Well, you are a great player in, in your own right. But, uh, you know, let's just quickly, uh, you, you and Colin both were on, uh, you had Colin on your podcast recently, and you've, you're hundreds of episodes deep almost at this point. But let's just quickly rehash a little bit about your, your podcast and how, you know, the, the architectural talk, what, what sort of, I mean, that was, it was a mini epic three-part series. Talk, just talk about that. Yeah, I, I had gotten to know Colin uh, last year, and it was uh, I always was like, oh, man, he'd be a good podcast guest. So unfortunately, we had to do it over over Skype. We were we were together maybe a t- day or two earlier, but we just didn't have the time to sit down and record. And uh, so we uh, we chopped it up. And uh, the good thing, as you know about Colin, is he can talk about just about any topic <laughs> in golf. So. Those are the best guesses where you can kind of float around and whether you're talking about competitive golf or coaching at Yale or talking about golf courses and travel, like it's, it's a, it's a cool, um, experience when you have the guests that can really are very well versed in so many different topics in golf. Well, listen, I, what I, I was impressed, you know, uh, how independent Andy is, um, when I, when I was sort of in golf magazines in the late nineties, it was, it was fairly take, it was taken for granted that like 
you weren't going to get truly sort of independent voices from anywhere that was taking ad dollars from the equipment industry and and the resort business. And uh, I didn't really I had never listened to any of his podcasts. Uh, I'm not on I wasn't on, I'm not on Instagram or Twitter or anything. And and within it. But I uh, I what I what I'm impressed, Andy, what you've been able to do from sort of the closest thing to golf has to like independent media. Uh, but of course, you know, as Tom Doak says, you're nobody in this business until you have a conflict of interest. So for every uh, for every every time you climb a higher rung, you know, you, you still manage your independence. So it'd be curious if we can get your sort of, you know, to what extent we get your honest take on things. <laughs> it's, uh... don't, don't get too big that you have to sort of, you know, constantly have to cover your tracks and, and backtrack. I know that. Well, that's the hardest thing is you start to meet these meet people. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yesterday, just yesterday, I met, met an architect that I've kind of bombed on a few times. And I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> this is when you wish you hadn't bombed it. But he was fine with it. You know, he was, said, you know, I probably deserved a lot of criticism. So it was right. good. Right. I mean, I was just thinking about it this morning. We were like, oh, we're going to chat. I, mean, I guess we're going to I'll let Steve, you know, take the lead and stuff. But we're going to talk about TPC Sawgrass, for example. And that, honestly, I have no interest in playing there. I have to spend a week of hearing about how this is a fifth major. Fine, I'll enjoy the tournament. Um, but there is there a less appetizing golf course uh, on the PGA Tour than the stadium course at Sawgrass? They've like, been talking about this thing as the fifth major for 20 years. I mean, so, yeah, the, the PGA Tour wants their spot, right? <laughs> and And – you can't beat history and on a course that's uh, kind of a, a contrived masterpiece by Pat, by Pete Dye. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, Steve, <laughs> did, you, did you play the USAM out there in 94? Uh, uh, was it? I did not play the USAM out there. A lot of people confused that moment. That was Trip Keeney who ended up playing the finals against Tiger that year uh, at Sawgrass. But uh no, I was I was a junior in high school in 1994, sure. so I didn't I didn't quite have the uh, the chops to make it uh, make it in that I U.S. Mean, amateur. I mean, the next year you made it to the semis, and then the next year you made it to the fi- uh, the finals. That's pretty good. It was it was a good run. It was a good run. You know, my and my coach at University of Florida, he had Tiger totally on the ropes in the third round of match play at Sawgrass in '94. He had a short putt on the 13th hole to go four up with five to play and he missed it and totally turned the tide and, and ended up uh, losing on the 18th hole. It was buddy Alexander, my great coach at university of Florida. And, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, you know, you can blame him. You can blame trip. You can blame me for all of tiger's success and rise in the world, uh, <laughs> from the, his amateur days. Right. I yeah. do consider those, by the way, I consider those majors, you know, for the longest time, Jack Nicholas was was sort of touted as having 20 majors, 18 professional and two and two amateur. And that was still sort of in the 80s when they always sort of equated Jones's achievements as majors in a grand slam. And, you know, the, the real number of Tigers sort of chase with Nicholas, you could argue it's 20 to 17. And you could almost you could partially make the case that a USGA sort of junior is a major of sorts. It's not a professional major. It's an amateur major, though. It's it's a national championship, and and in some ways, you you could say that Tiger and, and Jack are tied at twenty. 
Doesn't it feel weird, though, along those lines that, that the USGA actually had a one of their classic championships on such a modern venue? Yeah, it does. It's, I guess, you know, they've gone to some modern uh, venues for the U.S. Open recently, but to have it in uh, in the backyard of the PGA Tour, it feels very weird. It's like... Uh, it's like uh, sisters kissing or, or brothers, <laughs> brother, cousins, cousins kissing. I'm, I'm messing up that. Expression. So sisters, sisters kissing gives a better visual. But um, <laughs> when we'll get we'll get into some of that more and 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 dive into, you know, maybe the quirkiness and, you know, whether it's fair or not. Uh, you know, from the, and the TPC sawgrass, but, but let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what you're doing with the fried and, and how you've built this thing up. And I mean, the website, if you haven't been on the website recently, uh, and I don't know, you must be in a hole Wait, or something on, if on. you haven't been on the website, but the fried like, am I wrong? Am I wrong? Is, is, it's fried no, the, no, it's the thefriedegg.com. I, I oh. bought it at auction a, a few years ago. You know, <laughs> sorry, I, sorry, sorry. After so, trying, after. Do you own thefriedegg.com? Yeah, I own, okay. I own, I own a lot of properties that are associated with fried eggs. <laughs> sorry, my bad, Steve. Because the other day I, I went to a, I went to, you, you own, what about friedegg.com? Come. No, it's no, it's no. the fried egg. There's only one fried egg, and that's Andy right. Johnson's fried egg. You got to get that right. right. So, but if you have delete all that. But if our <laughs> listeners haven't been on the website recently, it is out of this world. Thefriedegg.com. He goes through every sort of of architectural venue from uh, Seth Rayner, uh, some of the great arch- architects up and coming, Andy Staples and his master plan for Olympia fields. You got to check that out. But, but what's, what's really, I think me even more put you on the map is this shotgun start podcast. You host three, four times a week. Talk to us about, about how much fun that is to do that. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> Brendan and I, uh, we wanted to do like a morning show. We thought there was like a, a need and it, it's kind of taken on a life of its own. It's been fun. Uh, it's a lot of work, though. Like a lot of, a lot of uh, Sunday nights at you know 10 p.m. when you're about to record, you're cursing yourself like, why the hell did I do this? But it's a lot of fun. Um, it's just uh, one of the things when you cover the tour regularly and cover golf regularly, uh, and in that three day a week format, is you can kind of point out all the ridiculous things that happen throughout a year. So. It, it, it's uh, it's a lot different than uh, what I do on the fried egg podcast, which is uh, kind of what I wanted. I want to, you know, like like a great golf course has a lot of variety. Uh, I want the website to have a, a lot of variety um, and be able to appeal to as many people in different ways, like not necessarily dumbing down any any side of the content. You know, the PGA Tour coverage is supposed to be very intelligent and, um, you know, engaging, but not diminishing, you know, the other type of content to try and appeal to masses, you know, who I'm trying to appeal to is golf fans, whether they're into architecture and visiting new courses, or if they're into watching competitive golf at any level or the PGA tour. I, I love the drone shots. Now, Colin, you've seen these, you've, I mean, you've seen these drone videos that that he does like at sunrise it's like uh it's like one of those videos you just kind of 
it just melts your heart as a golfer. And, and, you know, when you're in the cold weather up north, like you are at Yale, like mm-hmm. it's got to, you know, when you, you get to some venue like the Ohoopy Match Club in, uh, in Georgia on a beautiful sunny day, like, you know, you just like want to go there and go play. I love how uh, accessible that's become. I, when I was uh, in working and in, involved at Bayonne, we were we were like working through the process of hiring a helicopter and it's you know camera crew and it was going to be like twenty thousand dollars to just get like an overhead some overhead video and a shot and now it's like it's done by it's it's done by a kid with a suitcase it's like it's it's incredible that um the opportunity you know the i didn't i couldn't have imagined the sort of you know the the exposure a podcast and a website and a some social media can give in in uh it really is the, the, the flexibility and the independence is really impressive. What's your, yeah. uh, what was your, what's been your, what, Andy, what was, what's been one of your favorite places to drone? Um, I don't know. They're all cool. It's, you, it's always nice when you drone somewhere that doesn't have trees. So you don't have to worry about crashing. I'll say that, you know, like, and, and losing the signal. So my, my favorite places to drone are, uh, are places that are wide open. So, um, you know, one of the saddest, uh, moments was I, I, I did the, all this footage of, uh, Bally Neal and Sandhills and my SD card where everything saves on a drone got corrupted. I like was about to cry, you know? So basically like, you, you know, you're waking up at this early time, you're out at a golf course late, like it ends up being really long days and, uh, you know, then when you lose it all, it's just awful, but it's, uh, it's, it's. I mean, the learning curve for learning how to fly that thing, I, I had no photography or video background before this thing. So it was, uh, it's been like a steep curve, but you know, it's, uh, it's nice to, and hopefully one day I'm not the one doing it. Hopefully I can just hire somebody else to do it. Well, if you're, <laughs> you know? if you're a Bally Neal or Sand Hills though, uh, slightly remote, uh, it's not like you're going down the street and buying another SD card at Best Buy, are you? No, no, it was, it was gone. It was, uh, that was a, that was a sad day. So, so the, the, it's like the lost tapes, you know, of, uh, the fried egg is all the, <laughs> all the, all the footage from, uh, from Sand Hill. But they're stored in your memory though. And that's where that really belongs in your heart. <laughs> uh, how cool, how cool would it be to see like a, a college event at Sand Hills that was streamed? Yes. Let's get Yale there. Yeah, you know, there, there is a there is a college event at the Prairie Club, um, and uh, we've tried to get invited to it. I think it's at a bad time. It's like in October. They they had the, they showed the kids wearing like a ski masks. They literally had a kid wearing a ski mask competing in the event. And, and there's no hotels around there, so you have to sleep in a tent, right? Is that part of the uh... right? <laughs> the uh, you know it's that's interesting. There's there's very few. Um, you should come out, Andy. You should come out. We should we should stream the uh, the Maidstone Invitational this this coming October first, early October. It's the first first event. That would be beautiful. So Drone got, along the coast. You got Old Town and Maidstone in next fall. Exactly. And, and Yale. And, and Yale. Best page red. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good roster. I gotta I gotta go back. I wish I could go back to school and play college golf. You know, I wonder if I have any eligibility. <laughs> so we leave tomorrow. Tomorrow is we're playing uh, the mission, the mission in spectacular at Howie in the Hills in Orlando. Apparently, 
it's in that sugar uh, sugar loaf area. When you go north of Orlando, you actually get elevation. Um, you get you actually get contour. It'd be interesting to see that see that event, see the course. You, you, Apparently, you, it's pretty good. Yeah, you you bring up uh, yeah you bring up that area of the world, sh- the Sugarloaf Mountain. That was a core Crenshaw design. I think that's a, I think that's a great topic. What what are some of the the best golf courses out there? uh that that no longer exist you know this game of uh, you know we 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 love this game so much but you know the sad reality of the business is that there's there's clubs that are closing i mean i i drove around south florida recently where i grew up and and uh you drive around you're like hey i played golf there or i played golf there and and now there's there's no golf course there but what what's what are some of your golf courses you played in the past they're like man i wish that golf course was still in existence I I think that are the ones that got to play, but I end up hopelessly staring at old aerials of for, you know, for hours on end over, you know, you know, like over the course of a year, I'll, I'll look at them, you know, a handful of times, but there was a course in, uh, in Chicago and actually, uh, I grew up in Lake Bluff, Illinois and in the town next to me, Lake Forest, that was called Mill Road Farms. And it was the estate course of, uh, Albert Lasker. And he was a guy that couldn't get into um, on Wensia or Shore Acres. It was stated to be the Oakmont of the Midwest. So he had an ongoing bet with uh, professional golfers that he was going to he would pay them a thousand dollars, which at the time was, you know, an insanely high dollar amount if they could come and break par. And uh, I think it lasted. I think that standing bet was uh, lasted for close to 10 years until Tommy Armour finally broke par. But looking at the old pictures and aerials of the place, it, it was absolutely unbelievable. So that'd be one that I think about. Yeah, I'm with you, Andy. Like, it's there's there's the famous kind of courses like Lido and the Lynx, but it's the existing courses that no longer exist in how they were designed is the saddest thing. I'm I'll I'll there's Shenacosset is here in Connecticut and I it's one of the, it's the only aerial I have printed in my office and it was a Donald Ross gem and of, and of course it was poorly it's just been poorly preserved. Um, it's almost and it's on this really terrific location where they make the where they make the um, the submarines. It's it's where you take the ferry to Fisher's Island. And it's like, I can't even, and, and, and by the way, it's pretty cool. It, it has that sort of Atlantic city country club style, uh, winter microclimate because it's sort of on a, it's surrounded by water. It, it's a, it's a winter golf destination, uh, in Connecticut, believe it or not. And it's, and it's, and it's been so it's, it's, it's presented so poorly. It's, it's Why, explain, it explain how that, explain how that happens in your mind. How does it, how does a golf course, like there's gotta be a, a, a greens chairman listening to this podcast. Like, like how, what, what can, what can they do to like, you know, not make it go down the wrong path? Everything can go wrong. I was just looking, you know, country club of Fairfield, there's there's not a single hole that's there's maybe one hole out of the existing 18 that's that is that is has been well preserved from its original rainer design like i you can't a club can't help itself right there's always the consideration of the range that's a killer um some public roads or a beach or um moving the clubhouse whatever it is drainage um malpractice um 
it can go on and on. It's a miracle that some of them exist. It, you know, remain. It's a miracle as many good courses remain. Uh, yeah. What's the worst? What's what's of the existing courses around Chicago, Andy? What's what's the uh, what what's some of the sort of uh, what's some of the poorest uh, preservation uh, oh, projects out there? I guess uh, I, there there's a handful of western suburbs clubs that had uh, Langford Moreau um, original designs that have just been had a nuclear bomb dropped off them, uh, dropped on them and just wiped everything that was, you know, neat about them off the planet. Now they have like, you know, your the problem. I think one of the big problems with what happened in Chicago is that because of championship golf, Butler and uh, Medina were like the examples that everybody wanted to, you know, emulate, especially in the in the, the club in the surrounding area which i always i always think is the craziest thing is like if 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 i was starting a business i'm never gonna copy the business down the street like i'm gonna be like well like what what how can i be different than them and in golf it's like oh well you know if this club does this we should do that as opposed to saying like why don't we come up with something like they have this unique thing why don't we come up with a unique thing of our own you know it's like this this need to copy people in golf, like, and you see it with municipalities where you end up with these same cookie cutter design down the street from the other cookie cutter design, because they say, well, if it's good enough for township B, it's good enough for us. Well, it's interesting. Like, I think you, as technology change and you, you have to lengthen a course, once a club starts lengthening, adding tees, then they, then, then they feel they can add bunkers, then they can move greens. Mm-hmm. then you can follow fads. I mean, I, you have to, a, a course from all the golden age courses had to survive the depression. They had to survive world war two. They had to survive the fifties when people weren't playing, they had to, uh, and then yes. you have, right. Then you have egos at the club. You have, you have tree planting, you have green standards. You know, we've gotten ourselves, we've, we've, we've gotten to, to, to impossibly high standards. I, Steve, I was talking to Andy not long ago. I was reading, I was rereading Scotland's Gift, and you know, McDonald went out and he he laid out the original uh, Lake Forest seven holes in an afternoon. He went to he went out out to uh, Belmont, and he had a golf course. He had his he had a golf course ready in a couple of weeks. Imagine the standards of the game, one that people loved. And that you could actually go into a field and you could have a golf course ready <laughs> within a month. Like, what were they playing on? And yet, yeah, yeah. it was probably just, it was, you know, we now have to have uh, greens rolling at 13 in the Northeast, uh, you know, in, in the Philadelphia Main Line when it's 100 degrees in August. And yet, yeah, it, unrealistic. We're totally from un- the reality of like expectations. Totally unrealistic, and yeah, that that I guess that is the uh, the downfall of a lot of clubs, and and yeah, you, it's the uh, you know you watch the Masters and you expect your golf course to be like that, and you know, guess what? You need an unlimited budget, and uh, and then even even more money to get, to get it done. Uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty astounding all all those things and 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 golf courses are you know it it's it is the that quirkiness of the uh, of the the classic uh, you know Tillinghast and the Charles Banks designs that 
really just enthrall people and blow them away. And in modern golf architecture, I mean, Gil Hans is really, uh, he, he's kind of the guy that, that has built the non-cookie cutter golf courses. And he, but he's, you know, he's been more of a household name since, you know, coming up the, uh, you know, building the, the golf course down in Rio for the Olympic course. But, and this is, you know, throw it for both of you. What's, what's a great architect out there that in three to five years, we're going to know him or her as a household name like we have Gil Hans recently? Enough of the architect hero worship, right? <laughs> That's the, I love all those guys. They're all, ta- but, you know, enough of putting their names on scorecards and, and like, and, and having it be the first thing said about the course, I bet they'd feel the same way. You know, do you think anyone played Royal Melbourne in the thirties and twenties and thirties? And like, this is a, this is the same architect did Cypress point and Augusta national. They just enjoyed it. Yeah. I think, uh, I guess that's the way the internet though, the same, same token, like people knowing that, is good for the game. Like it's, it's good because they, you know, they're more interested. It allows people to build a deeper affinity for the game, deeper understanding of the game. If the, you know, I think that's where, you know, the internet really has allowed, uh, has been really good for golf courses and architecture. Like I thought about doing an article that I never did was like, you know, like what are the courses that have been, that the internet has been most kind to, and which ones are the are the courses that the internet has been like cruel to that you know the spread of information and the ability for people to, to you know communicate and have a conversation about a place has really like hindered the reputation right. of some right. golf throw, courses. Throw out, let's just let's just do that right now. Let's throw out one club on either side of the fence. What what uh, what comes what comes to mind? In my in my hometown, I would have to say that uh, Medina is one that has taken a beating from the internet, and it, it's well deserved. That uh, they have a great property there, one of the most unique and and most dramatic properties in uh, in Chicagoland, and and they have an uninspiring uh, golf course on it, and it's it's really hard. But you know, from you know, if you if you're hitting the ball well, then you play well. There's no there's no thought. It's just a a strict test of execution. There's never a moment where you think about you know, oh, am I am I hitting the right shot off the tee? It's uh you know. It is home to maybe the worst short par four that's ever been designed in the history of golf. Um, that uh, you know, I, that's a big I, that's a, a little, big statement there. Uh, you know, pre, so it's, pre it's fr- a little hyperbole, sure. <laughs> you, you show me a, a worse uh, short par four than uh, you know one that's played in the Ryder Cup and every player in the field uh, hits a six iron off the tee. Yeah, well, that was like the the tenth, the old tenth at the Belfry. That was a pretty bad hole, sort of overrated. But when you say like the internet has been unfair to it, don't you just mean it, like? I'm not saying of, it's unfair. I'm like, saying it's no, been, no, no, no. It's but I mean, it's kind. It's getting the beating it deserves. Right, the beating it deserves. You mean from like self-important, opinionated snobs? Like, what's is there? Is there a mob of? Is there a democracy on the internet of of, of opinionated uh, voices, or is it just people speak those speaking loudest, or is it? That's or is it question. yours? It's a good question. It's a great question. I think I think that one of the things is that uh, what the internet does well is like you saw message boards uh, kind of lose out when Twitter and Facebook and these social networks came came to uh, power. And and one of the things that message boards and this is one of my biggest gripes with like Yelp is like 
not everybody deserves an equal microphone. Like, and I think it, what social media does is that people that have interesting perspective or intelligent commentary on a subject generally, or are like really funny, they gain followers. Like if you don't have a good take on something or you don't put your takes out there, you're not going to gain followers, right? You know, if, if people don't like your opinion, they could just unfollow you. Right. That's pretty simple. Yeah. What is like, you know, it's interesting, like, uh, the internet has the internet, uh, the internet was was unkind to Yale when it had the bad bunker renovation project, but it was it was being it was being fair it was being fair in its its unkindness because uh, it was sort of stating uh, it was stating the obvious, and then a course gets kicked around long enough it it can be it can also be saved by the internet you know as sort of one good social media post you know. From so, someone like Andy from, Johnson from the fried egg.com. There we go. <laughs> so I, I would say that Yale is one that the internet has been very kind to outside of the bunker, which, you know, it was well-deserved bad bunker renovation. But from the standpoint of Yale, Yale isn't in good shape. Usually when I played, it was in wonderful shape. And these are a lot of things that are out of their control. They have drainage issues, all this stuff, but the internet because of the ability to take a picture and show, like, holy cow, this is some wild stuff that I can't see anywhere else. That is very kind to Yale. So Yale, despite it, you know, not checking a lot of boxes of the common golfer, seeing stuff that you can't see anywhere else because of the advent of pictures and Instagram and, and Twitter, you know, that is why it's been so kind to Yale, you know, yeah. and why a course like, Medina hasn't had to be kind to because like you take a picture of Medina. It's like, well, is this the the 13th par three or the 17th? Because it looks exactly the same. Right. You you know, you grow up and you hear about these courses. They host majors. They host they have beautiful clubhouses. They're fancy. And I've had that experience on a number of occasions where you you go and you eventually play just a garden variety parkland course. And when you're out there, it doesn't matter that it's held, you know, a Ryder cup or a major, it's just a boring one dimensional, narrow overtreed, uh, monotonous design. So I, I think it's important to note, like I, I, Medina's done a really good job with their other two courses. Like they're very fun to play and interesting and, I, if I was, a, I, I said this, if I was a member at Medina, I would never play number three. I'd only play one and two. And I, I'd love that. Those are two golf courses I'd love to play on a daily basis. I, I think the tried and true test of what makes a great golf course or how great a golf course is, is when, you know, you, you leave it for a week or a month and, and you can absolutely remember every hole or most every hole on the golf course and uh, there was, you know, that that's kind of the the my barometer of of how great a golf course is. And, you know, I mean, you take a you take a course like like Cypress Point. Right. And I've been fortunate enough to, to play there. It's like a it's like a three act play. Right. You, you kind of go in the forest for a little bit. You go in the sand dunes for a little bit and then you finish on the ocean. And uh, it's it's like, you know, it, it's this 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 experience 
because it traverses through all these all these different terrains and and obstacles and and ground conditions uh, and and sites. It's just uh, out of this world. You know, the thing. Another thing that annoys me is is when you you hear an architect say about something like Yale or the old course, or they say you you never the never that you can never build this today. Like they, they say this about really great courses and I hate it. Like this idea, you can never build this today. I'm like, what are you talking about? You, you've all, all we're like for the longest time, it was just stuff you could build, which was lame and, and unmemorable and forgettable. And then like, I, I wish there was, I wish there was, there's some risk taking out there. And I understand all the reasons why you have to hedge and be, be careful. But like, I would love to see more. We've been waiting, and maybe the internet's been good for this. It's been kind to Sweetens Cove and stuff, like real dramatic risk taking. Like, I guess you know the problem is when you play Yale. When Yale's your home course, everything seems sort of deflated. You know, everything is just sort of a little bit less, isn't quite as extreme and dramatic. But nothing, you know. I just I don't want to hear another architect say about some awesome course that you could never get away with that again. That's just like such a cop out. That's it's uh, my I wrote I just recently wrote this piece on Country Club of Charleston, um, which is a rainer that's hosting the U.S. Women's Open this year. And uh, my right oh, one of my writers, Garrett Ford, and he, he edits um, stuff for me. He, we were messaging, we were just talking about uh, the the course and the piece, and he goes, you know what? This is the type of golf course that we need more of today, because it's on like a flat piece of land. You know, there's not a ton of movement, but there's just these unbelievably bold green complexes. Like, and it's a total exactly what you were saying. People would say, oh, you can't build that. You can't build a reverse Redan that has a has like a 15 foot false front. You can't do that. That's not fair. You know, it's the fair police. That's what it is. It's it's the t- like nothing drove me more nuts than last year's U.S. Open when, you know, people were like, oh, well, you know, they were in that bunker on on what was it? 15 at, at Shinnecock and they couldn't get it and hold the green from the from the short sided green side bunker. It's like he hit it in the worst place you could possibly get <laughs> right. it. Like, why should he be able to get it on the green? Like if it was a water hazard, no one would complain. They don't take away the chance of of making a great shot for a birdie. You know, like you can still make a birdie, but you know, if you hit it in the water, you don't have a chance. Right. Well, so let's get to it. Are the are the uh, who is complaining? The pros themselves, the sort of the uh, the sort of the 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 commentary sort of the I think like crowd. More of the pros. I, right. So are they. So right. They're the first. Are they some of the are they some of the sort of you know do, do they have thin skin or do they have we basically gotten in, in some of the sort of places we have with the game some of the sort of negative downward trends is it because we cannot because one one or two tour pros complain and it's like we have to have a national discussion about fairness because like some guy who flew there on a private jet is going to play for three or four days and maybe make like a couple hundred thousand dollars. But if there's a bunker he, he doesn't like, we have to, we all have to sort of stand back and agree. Like I do it. I will say this. I, I'm not the biggest, I'm not the biggest fan of Pete Dye. I, I, I think the golf club is, is wonderful. 
There's not many other than that that I'm really ever interested in playing of his. But he did take on the pros. He did try to he did he he did try to aggravate them and challenge them. I, I would say instead of any great design legacy, it's that he had I don't think he he was in an era when you were trying to actually stand up to the to the to the best players in the world. This is this is kind of what was my takeaway is that today in my opinion the the tour pros are so coddled on a week to week basis by the PGA tour that that they never want the golf course to be in the discussion. It's all about the players, right? That it, in a sense and I don't know how you guys feel um from you know a college coach perspective and from you know a great player perspective perspective steve like isn't it kind of the job of a tournament to get under a player's skin isn't that what championship golf is i like, I, th- I think that's what you see you know have the usj has done over time and you know they they you know people say oh well you're trying to embarrass the best players in the world and the usj comes back and says no uh, we're trying to identify them and i i love that saying and and you, you uh, I, I think it is. And, you know, look, we're, we live in the in the social media Twitter world that if somebody doesn't like something in two seconds, you know, uh, Justin Thomas can, you know, send off some flippant tweet. And, and, you know, because he's, you know, got all these followers and, you know, he thinks he's right that that, uh, you know, he, he can enact change. And, you know, he did with the Denny McCarthy thing with the USJ rules and the caddy standing behind and all that. But but they all live in this in this world of. I, you know, I can change the world and it's my world and, you know, you're living in it. So I'm going to I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make it right. What's interesting is, is they enjoy beating up on the USGA. That's like a and maybe at times USGA deserves it. But but the USGA has done you know, in, in fairness to the USGA. I'm sorry, I got to cut you off. But the fairness to the USGA and I'm a huge USGA proponent in fairness to the USGA, they have come out and they've used social media to their benefit. Uh, you know, talking about all these rules changes in the lead up to 2019. And they've gone through so many, you know, 15 and 20 minute, uh, you know, Facebook live things that you can look back. And, you know, they've tried to get out ahead of things. They've actually been very, uh, you know, very open to change, even in this short period between January 1, when the rules did change and now and and you know they they've gotten a lot of heat and you know is anybody going to get anything perfect no we're human we're not perfect so but the fact that they're open to change and they're trying to get out in front of these these topics uh, i think is is a huge bonus for the usga Whew, okay i'm gonna just stop right there i'm a little winded but we're going to come back with part two next time with the great Andy Johnson and all his architectural knowledge. And just remember, you can follow us on social media at Silver Club Golf on Instagram and Twitter, as well as check out our website at www.silverclubgs.com. Check out all the things that we're doing with our great golfing community and inquire about playing in some of our tournaments this year at some of the greatest venues on the planet. Until next time, everybody, thanks so much for listening to this Silver Club podcast.